The TCPWQ presents Rain, Drains, and Bioswales, a podcast dedicated to educating the community on water quality issues. The opinions expressed are not necessarily those of the Tippecanoe County Partnership for Water Quality or its partnering organizations. For more information on the TCPWQ and its work, visit our website at tcpwq.org. In this episode, I talked with Regional Specialist Amber Slaughterbeck from the State of Indiana Cooperative Invasives Management, or as we like to call it, SICM. Amber's passionate and knowledgeable and very cool. Amber shares how she made her way to this position, what keeps her motivated to tackle those invasive species, and some upcoming events she's excited about. We did a virtual interview this time and used the Spotify for Podcasters app, There are a few choppy bits in the audio in the first half of the interview, but trust me, you'll want to stick around for the whole thing. Amber is a boss. Here's our interview. Could you introduce yourself and share where you're from? Sure. So my name's Amber Slaughterbeck, and my title is a West Central Regional Specialist with SICKM. And I'm originally from Lafayette, Indiana. I grew up I was born and raised in Lafayette. I live in West Terre Haute, Indiana now. Awesome. I didn't know you grew up in Lafayette. Fun yeah. fact. Yep. On cool. Paranap. Oh, awesome. Yep. Uh, what was your journey to this career? How did you end up in your role? Uh, it really started in my early 20s. I um, started volunteering at Turkey Run State Park, and as a volunteer, they needed help with invasive removal, and at that time, I had no idea what I was doing, how to identify invasive plants, so I really started there, and from that point, uh, after being a volunteer, I took a position with the state parks as a naturalist, and that really sparked my interest in just um, natural resources and conservation and um, invasive species along the way just became more and more of a greater interest for me and a greater concern. And so I incorporated a lot of invasive plant programming in my naturalist career and, um, and now much, much later, um, you know, I've been working on invasive plants now for 18 years total. And so now I'm doing it full time. And that's how I got started humbly as a, as a volunteer. That's awesome. And can you tell about your role as regional specialist and kind of what it might involve on a day-to-day basis? Sure. So um, on the surface, our job Those management plans sometimes will turn into funding opportunities if the landowner decides to pursue such thing. And so those are the the real meat and potatoes of of our job, but that there's a lot of caveats to all of that, of course, uh, um, things that we learn along the way. So that's really, that's really in a nutshell (laughs) what we do on a daily basis. Great. And then for anyone who doesn't know, can you share what makes a species invasive? So for Indiana, uh, we have, we specifically will follow the federal definition of invasive plants. So for 
Sikkim, in my role, we focus on invasive plants. And for an invasive plant to be deemed invasive, it has to be a non-native, so it cannot be from Indiana. And usually it's not even from the Midwest. Um, and it also causes harm. We look at um, all the different ways that invasive plants cause harm, and you can expand upon all the ways that they cause harm. But in general, um, they cause harm to pocketbook, cost us a lot of money. They cause harm to our environment and habitat, also to our health. So wildlife health and also human health. And can you highlight some invasive species that are particularly problematic in our region? Depending on what habitat you're approaching, there are going to be different types of invasives. Some of the top invasive plants in the woods are usually the shrubs. So we can narrow it down to the shrub category on the invasive plant list. And any one of those are uh, top invasive plants in my region. So Japanese barberry is a big one in my area. Of course, bush honeysuckle, everybody knows that one. But mm -hmm. Uh, autumn olive, uh, privet is another one that I see quite a bit in the woods, unfortunately. And um, multiflora rose, everybody's favorite. So those are like some of the tops. Yeah. Uh, what are some steps individuals and communities could take to prevent the spread of invasive species? When... Uh, whenever I get this question, I always think about how I start a landowner survey, and I always begin with any landscaping that they have around their home. Mm -hmm. So what everybody can do is walk their landscaping, no matter the size of their property. Just go walk around your landscaping and identify those plants. If you don't know what they are, that's where we come in. We can help you identify what they are. But most of the plants that we battle that are invasive, that are on our state list, have come at some point from good intentions in landscaping or agriculture. So always begin with your landscaping. And you can remove those invasives from your landscaping, and they won't be perpetuating a problem out in natural areas. Yeah, we see that a lot on our site visits. Just people have like burning bush and they didn't know. And that's why I love the invasive swap program so much. Yes, I didn't even mention burning bush, but that's another one that I see a lot in the woods that right now is turning bright red. So it's uh, relatively uh, easy to identify. Yeah, and in your um, management plans, do you all ever recommend native replacements for those invasives that you're um, advising people to remove? Oh, yes. Yeah. If they're looking to specifically replace something like a burning bush um, or even bush honeysuckle, some people like that bush honeysuckle for its ability to like screen the neighbor. Yeah, we always will include some some options for folks if they they specifically ask that, you know, what, what can I put back in this spot. So burning bush turns bright red, but we have so many beautiful native plants that turn red as well. Uh, there's an alternative called Wahoo. has a fun name. Our native shrub that looks like burning bush and um, turns bright red. 
Are there any projects or initiatives related to invasive species you're currently involved in or excited about? Yes. Yeah, so immediately I can think of we, Sikkim as an organization is hosting a fundraiser and it's coming right up. It's on November 4th. And so we're working really hard to make that a successful fundraiser. It's a going to be a 5K and we're encouraging people to like form teams and, um, you know, raise money, even if they can't come to the, the run for us. Um, and also we're asking folks to dress up because it's around Halloween. So hopefully we'll get some really fun costumes as well. But that's one of the projects that we've been working on and it's getting ready to happen. So it's, you know, getting ready to, we're closing in on it. Well, that's exciting. Awesome. Where's that taking place? going to be on the east side of the state at mill it's um, called mill run park i don't know if you've heard of that no i don't think so yeah it's so it's a new park for me as well because it's a, on the completely opposite side of the state where i'm normally not servicing but um there's a really great park there and they do 5ks and uh regularly so we've got a good park where we're hosting it what are some of the biggest challenges you face in your role? Uh, as I've stated, you know, one of the roles that we have as regional specialists is to facilitate the formation of these groups that are organic, essentially. They're forming with volunteers and with partners. And that has been um, the challenge is not only creating the groups from from nothing, <laughs> but then maintaining those groups and seeing them through the future and, and creating groups that are sustainable and finding people that are um, excited and interested enough that are able to lead these groups because, you know, you have to have a leader for these, these organizations and identifying leaders and maintaining those leaders has been the biggest challenge. I think seeing the if folks leave or they change positions, that's been a, a real, real challenge for us. Yeah, that sort of uh, reminds me of what's going on here in Tippecanoe County with Tish a little bit. So you and Jordan are going to be kind of facilitating what we've affectionately named the Ticked Reboot Conference Yes, uh, next month. So, So our partnership here is called Tippecanoe Invasive Cooperative Task Force. You may remember from Jordan Young's podcast, if you caught that one. Um, we call it TICT. Um, so TICT prevents, controls, and reduces the impact of invasive species in Tippecanoe County through community education and action. Um, and we've been working on that, like Amber said, for about five years. Um, and things kind of slowed down in 2020 at the beginning of the pandemic. So we're working to get things back up and rolling. But you may have seen us out at farmers markets or other tabling events. Um, we've had booths there and we're trying to keep the community engaged. Can you talk a little bit about like what your hopes are for that meeting? Absolutely. So for the meeting that's coming up in November in Tippecanoe County, we're hoping to bring all those partners that in the beginning. So we've been into this project for five years. So that's a long time. Mm -hmm. We're hoping that we're bringing back some of those partners that originally came to the first meetings and bring those back to the, to the table and ask, 
you know, what do you see the group doing in the future? How do you um, feel you are able to contribute? Do you feel like, you know, really just taking everybody's pulse and feeling where they're at with the group and how they see the group moving forward um, it is how I see the meeting going. And hopefully, in addition to the folks that were there in the beginning, I'm hoping that we also get some new folks that are maybe just learning of the group and they're mm -hmm. able to bring some of their ideas, some new ideas. A little bit of everything. I'm hoping for the old and the new, and I'm hoping for a mix of both. And uh, I'm also hoping that we can look at that amazing strategic plan that ticked put together and maybe see some of the things that worked and some of the things that didn't work and, and tweak that as well. Yeah, I'm really excited about that meeting. I hope tons of people come. I think we invited everyone on the original list and more. So yeah. Yeah, I think it'll be good. Um, even just to bring everybody back to the table and see how everybody's doing. Mm -hmm. Do you have any success stories um, in regards to like effective invasive species control or prevention efforts? Any like kind of feel good stories you wanted to share? Well, so there are a lot there. You know, I've been with the project from the beginning in 2017. I signed on and over the years, I've worked with a lot of private landowners that at their own will, with their own money and their own resources, they have worked from the moment I left their property throughout these five years. And so there's quite a few landowners that I could point to that their property is, is starting to recover uh, from invasives. And I can say I was there when they first started removing, you know, the wall of honeysuckle or the wall of burning bush. And now there are native plants in place of where it was just bare earth and solid non-native invasive plants before. So I have, I have so many of those stories. Uh, and I try to celebrate all of those landowners on a regular basis simply because they are what truly inspire me to keep going because they're the, they're folks that, on their own have decided that this is a worthy cause and you know with their own money they've decided that they're going to put that effort towards improving their property small and large chunks of land um, and so i just celebrate the landowners that's those are my success stories all of those people out there that are still chipping away and making their property better each day how do people um, typically find their way to you as a resource? That's a good question, Amanda. Um, a lot of different ways, but I think mostly word of mouth, quite frankly. I think a lot mm -hmm. of people are coming to our organization and our website because of all of our partnerships across the state. And, you know, we do a lot of tabling. Like this weekend, we'll be at the Indiana Native Plant Society Conference. And I'm sure that we'll gain some landowner surveys and some uh, partnerships from that conference. But I think in, a majority of the folks are, are coming to us because of people like you that are sending them our way. Uh, what do you hope to achieve 
um, in terms of invasive species awareness and management, like in the next few years? Do you have any like big goals? Yes. So I have signed on for another uh, contract with Sikkim, another five years. And within the next five years, I hope to see more funding opportunities. That's what Mm -hmm. I would really like to see, not only for Sikkim, of course, for our project to continue and for our staffing to continue and grow, uh, because we do need more regional specialists across the state. Uh, but mm-hmm. for landowners, I would really like to see more money available to landowners. And, um, you know, a lot of our counties are doing that. They're making funding easier for folks to have access to and to buy plants to replace some of these uh, invasives that they're removing on their property. And the, those funding opportunities are essential, uh, you know, to continue the message. Uh, people want to remove invasives, but they need resources. So I hope that in the next five years, we see the the number of resources expand. That would be awesome. We have, we do site visits pretty often. And uh, when we talk about the native or the invasive swap program, lots of people are like, what about honeysuckle? Like, it's like, wow, that would be, that would cost a fortune to replace all the honeysuckle. Yeah. Um, But yeah, that is a big need. Yeah, just some more tools and more resources and, uh, you know, and that also comes with more information. So spreading the awareness is obviously going to be forever and ever. Amen for all of us. Uh, Raising awareness is the easiest thing we can do, really. And then with that comes, you know, the solution, which is funding, resources, tools. So I hope that in the next five years we see just an explosion of, of those resources for landowners. Yeah. Um, are there certain uh, websites or books maybe that you might recommend to people if they're interested in learning more about invasive species? Yes. So there aren't very many good books to go to, unfortunately, for our region. Um, there are a lot of really great books on native plants, which is what we obviously want uh, to be replacing all these invasives. And those are great. Um, there's so many wildflower and prairie books that you can purchase that are uh, specific to Indiana. Mm-hmm. So definitely look those up. Go to your library. That's the best place to start is your library. But as far as like identifying invasive plants, I would just say go to our website. Our website is sicim.info, sicim.info. And there is so much information on there. Uh, You could start there. And we have a ton of resources on there that you can even print out if you're interested in doing that. And then um, if you don't want to do that, you're not into printing out things or you don't want to go to the, the library, you can always just call your regional specialist and have them come out to your property and tell you what invasive plants you have and how to get rid of them. And that's free. So all of those resources are free and um, great places to start. Awesome. Um, my last question, I think I, you sort of already answered at other points, but I'm just going to ask it anyway so you can reiterate. Okay. Um, what inspired you to work in this field and what keeps you motivated? 
What inspired me to really get started with invasive plants was when I first walked into a woodland that was completely covered with invasive shrubs and then seeing on the flip side what a healthy woodlands looks like and the abundance of wildlife that utilizes a healthy woodlands. And so I think Turkey Run, working at Turkey Run as a volunteer and then as a naturalist really opened my eyes to just how important it is to have healthy habitats. And for wildlife, that's been my motivation all along has been working for wildlife. I just, I love everything about (laughs) Indiana wildlife. Mm -hmm. And so that's really my motivation continues to be my motivation is improving habitat um, so that they can thrive and provide all the great things that wildlife provide. Um, Even just listening to wildlife is beneficial for us. So um, that's what keeps me going. That's what keeps me motivated is seeing habitats come back from uh, and being completely inundated with invasives. Um, That's what I continue to work towards is healthy habitats and landowners inspire me every day and my partnerships with folks across all of my counties inspires me to keep going because invasives are a drag. And unless we work together and continue to inspire each other, um, it's easy to get bogged down and depressed about uh, the impacts, the negative impacts of invasive plants. But when you're working with a lot of people, then you learn it can be done. And it, yeah, yeah working together, can, it, can, it can happen. Awesome. Uh, is there anything else you'd like to um, talk about? I would just say uh, to anybody that's curious, that wants to get started with invasive plants, uh, just join your local SISMA, figure out who that is, how to get involved. And, you know, attend the meetings and, you know, when you go to a meeting, you, you know, you meet like-minded people that are also working on invasive plants and you learn that you can also do um, invasive removal on your property. It's not as hard or as complicated as it might seem when you have the proper tools. And so just starting with your SISMA, I think, is the best place to go. Okay, so SISMAs are Cooperative Invasive Species Management Areas. Sometimes they're called coalitions, partnerships, or councils. SISMAs are formed to collectively combat the problem of invasive species spreading across the landscape. They've been shown to effectively target invasive species problems by engaging local interests and addressing invasive issues across various types of land ownership. So we're able to partner and pool resources and knowledge to address mutual invasive species problems. In Indiana, the first SISMA was formed in Brown County in 2006. And now through SICKM's Indiana Invasives Initiative, they're working to establish new SISMAs across Indiana, as well as provide those resources and guidance for new and existing SISMAs. And uh, when in doubt, you can always reach out to your regional specialist. Awesome. Well, I think that's all I have today, but I want to thank you for taking some time to chat. I think it's going to be a pretty cool episode and uh, hopefully get some more people interested in working with their local SISMAs.
But yeah, thanks so much, Amanda. Um, That's awesome that you're doing this. This is the portion of the podcast where we learn a bit about our guests outside of their profession. Amber shares her favorite kayaking spot, what keeps her up at night, and her favorite horror movie. Getting to know you, getting to know all about you. Uh, What's your favorite outdoor activity or hobby? Oh, that's that's a hard question to answer, actually, because I just like to be outside, um, especially this time of year with the leaves being so pretty. But I really, really prefer if I'm going to go outside and spend time um, doing my favorite activity would be kayaking, kayaking hands down. Awesome. That's a good one. Um, any bodies of water you like best for kayaking? Yeah, so there is a wetland locally that um, this time of year is completely dried up. But in the spring and most of the summer, Wabashiki wetlands is so much fun. Really slow moving water and it's um, not very deep. So I feel comfortable and safe floating it. That sounds nice. Yeah, it's great. Lots of wildlife. If you could travel anywhere in the world, where would you go and what would you do there? Oh, um, you know, I really like the Virgin Islands. So I think I would go back to the Virgin Islands and snorkel and eat fish and just live a beachy life. That sounds super nice. Yes, (laughs) it's gorgeous. What's a good book, movie or show you've recently enjoyed? Uh, I don't watch TV, so there are no shows in my life, but I watch scary movies all the time. Awesome. <laughs> Big horror buff. So I've just been binging on old horror movies, and there really aren't any new ones that I could speak of that are worth watching. So I really like As Above, So Below is my favorite scary movie. Awesome. Uh, what's your go-to comfort food? Sushi. Hands down. Wow. Nice. Love sushi. <laughs> um, what's the most memorable concert or show you've attended? Uh, I would say West Side Story, the musical, um, live in Bloomington. Uh, by the students there one year. It was really, really good, and I will always remember that show. Awesome. Um, Ooh, what's one skill or talent you wish you had? Hmm. Um, I wish I could chop wood better, honestly. Now that we're entering into the winter months, it'd be awesome if I could swing an axe better. Do you have any hidden talents or surprising hobbies? No, I don't think so. (laughs) I don't think so. What about pets? Yeah, I have uh, 30 hens and an 11-year-old boxer. that. um... Um, What keeps you up at night? Uh, Probably thinking about the next day and what needs to be done or things that I need to get moving forward. That probably is what keeps me up more than anything. It's plans, planning for the future. What is the last thing you Googled? 
<laughs> that's a good question. Uh, let's see. Oh, a knife. Benchmade knives. I'm really hoping that our next episode will feature my good pal and executive director of Niches Land Trust, Shannon Stannis. They've been in this position for over a year. Hopefully they'll share about upcoming Giving Tuesday, reasons why land trusts are so important, and ways you can get involved. This podcast is produced by me, Amanda Estes, stormwater educator for the TCPWQ. Special thanks to Scott Allersmeyer for the excellent recording setup, Jimmy Katrin for the hype and encouragement, and Austin Wiesler for coming up with a podcast name and slogan. Rain drains bioswales. Whether it's clean, green, or flows downstream, we talk about it. If you have questions, suggestions, or want to learn more, visit us at tcpwq.org or call 765-807-1817. You can also find us on Facebook at TCPWQ and at Tippecanoe Water on Twitter. If you made it this far, I'm treating you with a blooper reel. Thanks for listening and enjoy. Amy, this building is loud. Oh, Amy wanted to tell you hi also. Hi, Amy. Yeah, yeah. Did you um did you happen to hear that cat start meowing? <laughs> no. Okay. And like a cat came out of nowhere and just started meowing. <laughs> That's I, awesome though. I don't have cats. Okay. I'm glad you didn't hear it. I was like, like who is it just a just a neighborhood cat? So I live in the middle of the woods, so I don't know where this cat came from. It's a, it's a woodland cat. It's a stray, for sure. A bird murderer. Nowhere, like, out of the woods and just, like, started meowing right during the middle of our conversation. <laughs> that's cute. I mean, I might hear it later when I'm editing, but... Okay. Okay. That's funny. Yeah. I think it'll be cute. Yeah. No, I don't know where it went. It's gone. Um, have a good Halloween.